This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, these truths are, are so good that David says he wants to hear more. He wants to hear more and more and more. So in verse 8, he says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people. God wants to hear more. I'm sorry, David wants to hear more of how God makes the people pleasing to him. David wants to hear more of how God deals with sins. So David says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. When David says that, David is just like the prophet Habakkuk. Just like the prophet Habakkuk, who says in Habakkuk 2.1, Habakkuk 2.1, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I'm reproved. Habakkuk says that in order for him to hear what God wants to say to him, he says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me. He sees himself as a watchman on the walls. He sees himself as a watchman in the tower. And he says, my watch, just like someone who stands watch in the Navy. How many have ever stood watch in any of the services? Don, I know you have. (laughs) Right, and Scott, okay, then you know. So when Habakkuk went to hear what the Lord was gonna say, he said, I'm gonna stand watch. Just like when we read our Bibles, we want to hear what God's going to say to us. We should see ourselves like Habakkuk, standing watch. We don't know where something's going to come from, but we are ready and alert and we're looking. Standing watch is serious. Big problems can happen if a person fails in standing watch. The same is true for us. A watchman should see the enemy coming before it's too late, as early as possible, in order to prepare. In our Bible reading time, God wants to warn us, God wants to prepare us before danger comes to us. And if we fail to be alert, then we'll miss the warning, 
We won't have the preparation too late by the time the danger comes. Now, how can a watchman fail? How can he fail in his job? Habakkuk 2.1, I will stand upon my watch. Habakkuk says that he wouldn't sit on his watch. Habakkuk says he would stand on his watch. That's why it's called standing watch in the service. Not sitting watch, but standing watch. Standing implies being alert, being on the ball, sensitive to what's going to come. Looking carefully for the approach of the enemy. That describes one way we can fail as we read our Bibles. By being tired, not alert, not like standing watch. Another way a watchman can fail is if he's distracted. If he's distracted. For example, if the watchman, instead of looking out, is surfing the web or watching videos on his phone, he's distracted. And that can happen to us when we fail to watch and hear God because we get caught up in some distractions or some entertainments. This was Demas. This was Demas in 2 Timothy 4.10. 2 Timothy 4.10. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. This was the great command that the Lord Jesus Christ, really warning when he said, Lot's wife, Lot's wife, she loved her city of Sodom. She turned back to see it. She was turned into a pillar of salt. And the Lord Jesus said in Luke 17, 32, remember Lot's wife. Never forget Lot's wife. Always keep Lot's wife in mind. A big cause of failing to watch and hear what God wants to say is to us is the love of the world. The love of the world. That was Lot's wife. Love of Sodom. That's why it says in 1 John 2.15, 1 John 2.15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Another distraction from spiritually standing watch is the pursuit of money. The pursuit of money. That can cause a neglect of watch and a failure to hear God's, what God wants to say. And that's why we are warned, that's why the Lord warned in Mark 4.19, Mark 4.19, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. Another distraction that can keep us from a, being a diligent watchman and cause us not to hear is a preoccupation with what other people think of us. A preoccupation with our reputation. A preoccupation for, are we popular? Are we accepted by the world? That's why the command comes in, in Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2, don't care about that. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Another distraction is comes very popular. We live in a day of health consciousness, health consciousness. We're not hard to become obsessed with how young we look and, and can the Botox help and are we keeping in shape? Are we doing a lot of exercises? How fit we are? I dropped out of that a long time ago. But I had dinner recently a few months ago with a person who only talked the whole meal. All he talked about was the number of carbs in each one of these things on the menu and on his plate and on my plate and everybody's plate. Really took her appetite away. He said, oh, I lost 55 pounds by being on the low-carb diet. All he thought about was carbs. Being occupied with the body is a preoccupation that can cause a person to fail 
from being diligent watchmen and hearing what God wants to say. John 12, 25, John 12, 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. What does that mean? That means in comparison to loving the Lord, in comparison to being a watchman, hating everything that would stand in the way, nothing between my soul and the Savior. Another distraction that can cause a person to be fail as a watchman is to be so worried about the problems, about his own problems, and that will cause him not to be a diligent watchman. The same is true for a person who's so consumed with worry and anxiety and trouble and conflicts with other people that he fails to watch and hear what God wants to say. Paul spoke of this, the conflicts and the fears, when Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7, 5, 2 Corinthians 7, 5, without were fightings, conflicts, and within were fears. All of these can distract a watchman from being diligent to hear what God wants to speak. And sometimes we have to work the hardest just to still ourselves. It's hard work to stand still, sit still. But that's what God wants. He says in Isaiah, your strength is to sit still. Moses told the people of Israel, stand still. From all the troubles you see the Egyptians coming, stand still. This is hard work to sit still, to still ourselves from hearing all the voices, these voices, just been going over, from hearing all these voices of distraction, sometimes we have to still our own distracting voice and stop speaking. We have to stop speaking. Sometimes we have to say to ourselves, enough. I have spoken enough. I have spoken too much. Now I'm going to be quiet so I can hear what God wants to say to me. And sometimes we have to repeat the words of Samuel, the little boy Samuel. In 1 Samuel 3.10, 1 Samuel 3.10, the Lord came and stood and called us at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, speak, for thy servant heareth. He had to sit still, he had to stand still to hear the voice of God. And David heard God speak. And what he heard was in the verse 8, Psalm 85, 8, Psalm 85, 8. He will speak peace unto his people. What God speaks is peace. When God saves a person, his message to that person is peace. The Lord Jesus said in John 14, 27, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The word of God to believers brings peace. He said, John 16, 33, why did he say these things he was going to tell you? He was going to tell his disciples, why have I just told you what I told you? I'll tell you. In John 16, 33, these things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. If we don't have peace after spending time in the Bible, then the problem is a distraction because the purpose of the Bible is, John 16, 33, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. By contrast, the wicked, they can't find peace. It's nowhere to be found. For the wicked in Isaiah 57, 20, Isaiah 57, 20. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. No peace, God says, no peace to the wicked. But to you, 
who listen to my words, these things have I spoken unto me that you might have peace. In me, you might have peace. Now, God then explains what brings peace to us in uh, verse 9, Psalm 85, 9. Surely his salvation is nigh. The more we dwell on God's salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, what he did, redeeming us on the cross, the more we have peace. The more we dwell on God's salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ when he redeemed us on the cross, the more we see how much God is for us. The more we see how God is for us, the less we see who can be against us, as it says in Romans 8.31. If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, verse 9 goes on to say, his salvation is nigh unto them that fear him. It's for the person that fears God. It's a person who fears God's judgment of sins. It's a person who fears God's hell that he sends people into. That's the person God says, salvation is very near that person, very near. When Israel starts to cry out to God, God says what he's going to do in Isaiah 46.13. Isaiah 46.13. I bring near my righteousness. It shall not be far off, and my salvation shall not tarry. I will place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. But if a person is proud, doesn't care about God, then God said, my salvation is far from that person. In Psalm 119, 155, Psalm 119, 155, salvation is far from the wicked, for they seek not thy statutes. Now, after saying all this, especially in verse 9, surely his salvation is nigh to them that fear him, there's a further explanation for how salvation could be near the Jewish people in Israel when it says in verse 9 that glory may dwell in our land. Salvation is a person. The name of that person is Yeshua, salvation. His name is salvation. And Jesus means salvation. So this is what he says, Jesus says in John 17, 3. John 17, 3. This is life eternal. This is life eternal. That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Which means that when the Lord Jesus is near, salvation is near. And when it says in verse 9 that salvation is near in Israel, because glory dwells in the land, then we look at how the Lord Jesus was described in Luke 2.32. He was described as a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Now the Lord Jesus today, let's frank about it, The Lord Jesus among the Jewish people today is despised and rejected by Israel, which means that today Israel despises and rejects their own glory. But that's going to change. That's going to change, thank God, when Israel says of the Lord Jesus the words of Psalm 118.26, Psalm 118.26, when they say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, to the Lord Jesus when they say that. And then the Lord Jesus responds to the cry of the Jewish people, returns to Jerusalem, then the glory of the Jewish people dwells in the land of Israel and Jerusalem, and that will mean that salvation is near them. Then the land of Israel will get a whole new name in Isaiah 8.8. Isaiah 8.8. He shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck, and with the stretching out of his wings shall fear the breath of thy land. O Emmanuel. Who's Emmanuel? Who's calling who Emmanuel? God is calling the land Emmanuel. At that time, the land will be called Emmanuel because the land will be known 
as God is with us. This is the land where God is with. Then the land of Israel will be called Emmanuel's land. Now, this is all great for us. This is all great for us. God has forgiven. God has covered the sins. He's taken away the wrath of judgment. He's shown us mercy. But the question is, how? How does that happen? How is God able to do this? And this is why verse 10 is the central verse of this psalm. Because this verse explains how God accomplished our great salvation. Remember, that's the word that he used, his final word. We say finished, detelestai, uh, Hebrew asa, done, accomplished. Now, Psalm 85.10. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. I want you to look at this as if these are four persons personified in mercy, in truth, in righteousness, and peace. And each one of these persons has his own individual purpose. Here's Mr. Truth. Mr. Truth is calling out the truth of God. The truth of God is the Torah. It's the law of God. The law of God is partially described by what God is against. It's all those thou shalt nots. It's summarized in those 10 commandments. That's the text of the Mr. Truth. God is against lying. God is against anger of murder in the heart. God is against adultery of lust in the heart. Mr. Truth is proclaiming all that God is against. And the picture of Mr. Truth is Moses coming down from Mount Sinai with the tablets of the law in his hands. And as Moses stands there with the law in his hands, he stands as a picture of Mr. Truth with the Ten Commandments. Our English translation of those Ten Commandments started off with thou shalt not. Almost sounds like a suggestion, but the Hebrew is much stronger. The Hebrew starts off with the word no. No, no, no. No lying, no stealing, no adultery. Just like a school teacher coming out of those Ten Commandments with her finger pointing. No, no. No, no, no. Mr. Truth is saying God's law does not contain ten suggestions. God's law does not contain ten hints. God's law contains 10 commandments. And Mr. Truth condemns us because Mr. Truth lays out the standard that we failed, that we broke. Mr. Truth looks at each one of us and says, the penalty for violating God's law is judgment. The judgment is eternity in hell, no possibility of release, no possibility of parole. Mr. Truth says, what I draw from God is the truth that describes the standard of holiness, and you have broken it. Man has broken it, and you deserve, and man deserves judgment. That's Mr. Truth. Then there's Mr. Mercy, and Mercy says, yes, yes, I defy you, Mr. Truth. I know he's broken the law that Mr. Truth is proclaiming, but my message is to forgive him. My message is to consider the awfulness of hell. Have pity on him. Don't let him be cast into hell for his sins. Find a way to have mercy on him. The message of Mr. Mercy is, what I draw from God is the mercy that God has. I draw from God the wideness of his mercy that's so broad it can forgive a man's sins. Then there's Mr. Righteousness. Mr. Righteousness. By the way, Mr. Righteousness and Mr. Truth, they're brothers. They're brothers. Mr. Righteousness says, my brother, Mr. Truth, proclaims God's law or standard must be kept, but I as Mr. Righteousness proclaim keeping that law. I, as Mr. Righteousness, 
represents God's law in action. I, as Mr. Righteousness, show what a life looks like that keeps the law of God. And as Mr. Righteousness, I show what it looks like when God's law is kept. I, as Mr. Righteousness, take situations, those individual situations in life, and I show how to keep God's law in those situations. And Mr. Righteousness says to each one of us, when I look at him, when I look at her, I see situations of love where they have not, situations in their lives where they have not kept the law of God. I see people in their lives that they've had conflicts with other people. They've not turned the other cheek. They fought back with murderous thoughts. I see women those men have seen, and they have not viewed them with purity as sisters, but they have lusted after them. I, as Mr. Righteousness, see the lives that have not obeyed the law of God, and along with my brother, Mr. Truth, I proclaim that I join my brother, Mr. Truth, in condemning them to the judgment of hell. And finally, there's Mr. Peace. Mr. Peace is a brother to Mr. Mercy. They're brothers. Mr. Peace steps up and says, yes, 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 yes. I know all that, Mr. Righteousness, but I defy you. I know that he has not kept the law that Mr. Truth proclaims as the standard. I know Mr. Righteousness is proclaiming how the law was broken by him. But this poor sinner is in a terrible state of agitation. He feels insecure all the time. He's worried. He's anxious. He's fearful. I proclaim that he must have peace. He can't sleep at night. Every little noise sends him jumping as he fears. That noise is, is like the, he's like a prisoner on death row, and he's hearing the jingle of the bells of the cell, and he fears they're going to open a cell and taken for that last walk to the gas chamber. He's in a terrible state of no security, no calm, no contentment in his life. He's living his, all his life like this. He needs peace. I want to give him peace. I proclaim the peace of God. Now, these are the four persons in verse 10. Mr. Mercy, Mr. Truth, Mr. Righteousness, and Mr. Peace. And the brothers, Mr. Truth and Mr. Righteousness, are, all, are working together with Mr. Truth, proclaiming the absolute law of God. Mr. Righteousness, proclaiming the law of God must be kept in action. And they're enemies. They're enemies with the other brothers of Mr. Mercy and Mr. Peace, where Mr. Mercy is proclaiming that there should be forgiveness of sins, and Mr. Peace is proclaiming there must be a peace, calling for peace. So these two sets of brothers are hopelessly arguing with each other. The two brothers of Mr. Truth and Mr. Righteousness are on one side, and they're yelling at the other two brothers of Mr. Mercy and Mr. Peace were on the other side, and Mr. Mercy and Mr. Peace are yelling back at Mr. Truth and Mr. Righteousness. And we are what they're arguing about. Each one of those persons looks at our lives, and on one side, Mr. Truth says, look at them, and he yells, truth. Mr. Righteousness says, look at them, and he yells, righteousness. And on the other side, Mr. Mercy says, look at them, and he yells, mercy. And Mr. Peace, look at them, yells peace. It's hopeless. It's absolutely hopeless. These two sets of brothers are totally alienated from each other. But something wonderful happens. Something wonderful, something amazing, something marvelous happens. And it's seen in the Hebrew word behind the word met. The wonder of this is unlocked in the Hebrew word behind the word met. The word behind met is the word pagash. Pagash, the Hebrew word. The whole meaning of what happened in verse 10 is all tied up in that word, pagash. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.